Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Welcome to Putting on the Mind of Christ. Each week at this time, we go into the Ave Maria CD archives and pull down a talk or two to see what our Lord might have to say to us. Many of these talks are recorded at area conferences. Most of the speakers are nationally known, but some may have been recorded by a brother or sister sitting in front of or behind you at Mass. Ave Maria Radio presents this program of God's Word to His people. This is Henry Root, your host and program producer for Putting on the Mind of Christ. Last spring, Frontline, the youth group at St. Gerald Parish in Farmington, Michigan, was looking for ways to raise money for a trip next summer to Australia for World Youth Day. They hit upon the idea of presenting an evening of teaching on spiritual warfare. They'd sell tickets to the event and sell the CDs I'd make for them over the talks. They got their pastor, Father Ron Brown, and the former pastor of St. Anastasia Church, Father John Ricardo, to do the teaching. The date was set for a Friday evening in April. The youth did their jobs. The church was packed. It was beyond standing room only, and the parking lot was just as bad. The topic was one that vitally affects all of us. Just what is spiritual warfare? How does it affect our lives as faithful Catholic Christians? To explain that, that's the job of Father Brown and Father Ricardo. Father Brown kicked off the evening, and we'll hear him right after this break. And later in the program, Father Ricardo will continue the teaching, and they will both field questions from the audience. This is Putting on the Mind of Christ on Ave Maria Radio. Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. St. Gerald's Church was already pretty crowded when I arrived to record Fathers Brown and Ricardo. The teens were exceptionally polite. Many of them greeted me even though they had no idea who I was. The frontline youth were the sponsors of the event. I found my contact person and connected my equipment to the sound system. The appointed time came and went. It was delayed due to the numbers of people arriving to hear Fathers Brown and Ricardo and to learn more about spiritual warfare. Eventually, the youth minister made the necessary announcements and introductions, and the evening was underway. To get this program underway, here is Father John Ricardo with the opening prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you tonight for the great gift of life, which is uh, 
your wondrous blessing to each of us. We thank you for the gift of faith that has been planted in our hearts. Thank you tonight in a particular way for the gift of family. Lord, we're conscious that all of us here have had vastly different experiences. Some have come from solid marriages and wondrous families which have helped us understand from our youth your love and your mercy and your generosity. And others of us have not had that experience. And yet your faithfulness has provided for us, even if it's by bringing us into the wider family, which is the church. Father, we want to be great men and women who understand what it is to be your adopted sons and daughters, who live with freedom and with confidence and with dignity and integrity and courage and compassion and charity always. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to be with us tonight and to help us to hear those things that you wish to say to us personally. Pray that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted and convict and provoke us where we need to be convicted and provoked. Dear Lady and St. Joseph, we ask that you would intercede for us, especially for those of us who have children still at home. Pray for us that the Lord would give us wisdom and courage, a deeper conversion and an attractive spirit for our children. And all these things we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. With the first of the two spiritual warfare talks of the evening, here is the pastor of St. Gerald Church in Farmington, Michigan, Father Ron Brown. I proposed that when we decided on this talk, and we eventually decided to have it here at St. Gerald's, that we hold it here in church. Because that is one of the reasons why our society may be in the strait it's in now and the place it's in is because we don't center ourselves enough on God. We gather here in this church because we are centered by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our center. And if we don't make our life centered on Jesus Christ, then we have problems. And that's part of the problem in our society today because we don't center our life on Jesus Christ. And that is what leads to all the problems. I have to admit uh, some of my planners for tonight, they told me because of the picture that appeared in the Michigan Catholic, the hair and the beard, they said, just go up there and tell them, unfortunately, Father Brown wasn't available tonight. And therefore, if you say anything that people can hold against you, you say, well, it wasn't Father Brown. Actually, what came about, the shaving of the beard and the cutting of the hair, when I had the beard, I started to get gray hair in the center there. And one little boy came up to me here at the parish and he says, Father Brown, you look like one of those gorillas in Planet of the Apes. So... I said, I think it's time to shave the beard. And the loss of the hair, well, you know, got to watch when you make bets. No. But really what happened was, in all honesty, what happened, I had to travel overseas in my passport. I was clean shaven, and I didn't want to have any trouble getting back in the United States, so I shaved my beard. And then last June, I turned 50 years of age, and I remembered St. Paul and his conversion in the Acts of the Apostles said that he cut his hair. So I said, okay, Lord, I want to recommit myself to you, and I need to do something very visible to do that. So I decided to shave my head, and people came up to me and says, geez, Father, you look younger. I says, boy, I'm keeping the hair off now. That's it, yes. But there's a reason why I'm going first, and Father John Ricardo is going second. Age before beauty, yes, we know that. But there's also the other fact is that if you remember the story of the resurrection and in St. John's Gospel, it talks about how St. John and St. Peter were heading toward the tomb and they were running and St. John, being younger, actually ran first, but he didn't enter the tomb first. He stayed, he looked inside, and they let St. Peter come. 
He lets St. Peter enter first. It's because if there are any problems, let Peter go in first and then we'll find out. So let, <laughs> let the older priest, Father Ron, go first. If there's any problems, then we'll... No, but it's just that in a lot of the dialogue it has been talked about that that represents also the fact that St. John was the spiritual side of the church, St. Peter the authoritative side of the church. And so I'm going first in trying to give you some of the authoritative background of the church. And Father John, you know, have the opportunity to speak on a spiritual side. My first thing to come before you this day is the fact that a lot of people object to the term that we use spiritual warfare because you shouldn't use such terminology as warfare, as any type of combatant, because militaristic term is not allowed, shouldn't be used. But the fact of the matter is this is what is used in Scripture. St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians talks about putting on the armor to defend yourself is very important because we are under assault. But in our day and age, we've forgotten about that. We've pushed that to the side. We said, no, 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 we're really not under assault. Because as terrible as it is, there are people out there teaching that, oh, the things such as the devil and evil, as far as personified evil as Satan, that those stories in the Bible are really not true that Satan really doesn't exist. Those were only made up as imagery. That's not what the church has taught throughout the centuries. That's not what Scripture says. That's not what Jesus warns us about. It's not what is in the catechism of the Catholic Church. If you're Catholic, you have no option. If you're Catholic, you believe what the church teaches. And the church has taught that, yes, there is evil. Yes, there is Satan. Satan exists. Yes, as a matter of fact, There is the devil. It's very interesting. Pope Paul VI, a man who had a very difficult time in our church, becoming Pope after the Second Vatican Council and trying to steer the church during that difficult time. I had the privilege when I studied in Rome to meet with a German cardinal who was retired at the time, and he had been a personal advisor of Pope Paul VI. And he shared some insights with me that were amazing, that Paul VI was so worried about the church and tried to do what he could to steer the church during this time of turmoil, during the time of the late 1960s and the 1970s. And one thing this cardinal told me was that Pope Paul VI said, do whatever you can to start new religious orders that will defend the church and stand up and fight for the church against the devil, against evil. And Pope Paul VI in one of his Wednesday audience said, And some of you may have heard this term, but he said, from some crevice, the smoke of Satan has entered the temple of God, has entered into the church. And then in another later audience that year, he said, we must fight against the demon. We do not think about this reality anymore, but now I wish to draw your attention to this terrible and unavoidable subject. We must fight against this enemy, terrible and invisible, who sets snares for our life and against whom we must defend ourselves. Anyone who refuses to acknowledge the existence of this terrible reality departs from the truth of biblical and ecclesiastical teaching. We must realize that we are confronting reality, mysterious and scary. If you don't believe in this reality, the reality of the devil, the reality of Satan, and that, as we pray, that he prowls about the world for souls, if you don't believe in that, then you're not Catholic. That's a teaching of a Catholic church. It's because it's here to warn us, to put us on guard, to stand up, to center our lives on Jesus Christ. 
And because we've forgotten that, because, yes, we forget and we begin to soft-pedal and say, well, you know, the devil doesn't really exist. That's something we've created on our own. Uh, But that's false. We have not created. We know in Scripture tells us about Jesus Christ and being tempted by the devil. Yes, we know that that has happened. As a matter of fact, I know the saying many others attribute, but I know from G.K. Chesterton, he said, the cleverest thing the devil ever did was induce people to believe he did not exist. And that's what he's done. How many people say he does not exist? There's no devil. Don't worry. As a matter of fact, one of the worst teachings that we have now presented in our society is that you don't have anything to worry about. Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody's going to heaven, so you have nothing to worry about. That's one of the worst teachings that anybody can put forth because it takes you off your guard and says, I have nothing to worry about. Then it doesn't matter how I live my life. But it does matter. It does matter. Because Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life, eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. And unless we put our focus on Him, on Him, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are going to be pulled away. And that's what the devil wants. He wants to distract us, to pull us away. And we begin, we fall into this and saying, well, you know, it's not too bad. And we begin to use certain language that, well, things aren't so bad. Or maybe we can even quote when there is evil in our world, we quote the language so that it doesn't sound as if there is evil. It's very interesting. In this week's edition of the Michigan Catholic, George Weigel, and I know this is going to disturb some people because you don't want to hear it. And I'm going to tell you right now so you can get ready for it. Because he writes about the massacre at Virginia Tech. And he says, you know, we're using this word, what a tragedy. How tragic. He says, wait a minute. What's happened in our society? Why are we using the word tragedy? A tragedy happens when it's something unplanned. Terminal cancel in a five-year-old is tragic. But this is something that was planned. Why aren't we talking about wickedness? Why aren't we talking about evil? Because we've put that to the side as a society. And we say, oh, no, that doesn't happen. Oh, it's because, you know, people make decisions because of their environment, how they were raised. It was very interesting when it first came out that this gentleman shot people and that everybody is, oh, get against the gun industry, gun industry. Now that it's come out that this individual at the Virginia Tech who committed this evil was watching these very violent movies, why am I hearing out there, why don't we get rid of all these violent movies? Where's the talk about that? Where's the talk about restricting the right to that? Nothing. Because we're saying, well, let's not talk about evil. Let's not talk about evil. Evil exists. One of the things that was very moving in my life was the movie Exorcist. Now, when it first came out in the movie theaters, I wasn't old enough to go see it. So I had to wait for the second time to come around. I have to tell the young people out there in the audience, back in my day, there weren't things like VCRs and DVDs, so you had to wait for the movie to come back again to the theater because you couldn't buy it at the store and you didn't have a DVD to play it on. And it wasn't going to be on TV because there was no such thing as cable vision. So I waited the next time it came around, and I was old enough then to go and see it. Because back in those days, you had to be 18 to go and see that movie. And what touched me in that movie was the fact at the end of the movie, the young lady who had been possessed by the devil and the priest had removed the possession of the devil from her, 
When she was leaving with her mother, a friend of the priest who had died in the movie was there talking with her and told the priest that my daughter doesn't remember anything about this. But then her daughter looked up at the priest and saw the Roman collar. She ran up and hugged him and kissed him. It's because this is the light of Christ. This is the light of Christ that shines through the darkness. And that is our victory is Christ. He's already defeated the devil. Jesus has won for us eternal life. He's won that for us. But I saw in that movie, you know what? The winning team is the one that sides with Jesus Christ. That's the winning team. And I want to be on that team. And I want to do what I can to be on that team to win with Jesus Christ. But because the movie enthrilled me so much, I've done a lot of investigation into that movie, and it's actually based on a true story and a true possession. It took place back in the 1940s. And as a young boy in the Baltimore area who became possessed, and it began with a Ouija board. His one aunt was a spiritualist. Now, if you don't know about spiritualist, spiritualism began in the United States back in the 1840s. It was by two sisters in Hydesville, New York, who began this, that they believed they could communicate with the dead. And they began communicating with the dead and formed this practice of spiritualism communicating with the dead. The problem is when you open yourselves up to communicating with the dead or the next world or anything in the spiritual world, you're opening yourself up to something beyond yourself. The spiritual world exists. And that's part of our problem in our society. We don't believe that. Or we believe that, well, oh, let's go to the store and look at angels. Aren't they cute? You forget there are fallen angels. Yes, fallen angels. What happened is, playing with this Ouija board, and Ouija, just so you know where it gets its name from, it's from we, from the French, yes, and ya, from German, yes. Ouija, Ouija board. But it opens you up to the spiritual world. Once you open yourself up to the spiritual world and you're not using Jesus Christ or God the Father or the Holy Spirit or the saints as your guide, then you're opening yourself up to anything in the spiritual world. And anything can happen. And we begin to say, oh, no, that can't happen, Father. Yes, it happens. I'm not saying possession. Possession is very rare. But what other things that can happen, you can open yourself up to that spiritual world. And what takes place then is you may not be committing any sins, but because you get tied up in this spiritual world, you're pulled away from Jesus Christ and following Him. What about sins of omission? I hear a lot of confessions. And I hear a lot of sins of commission, but not very many sins of omission. How many of us have failed to truly practice Christianity as we should? There are a great many sins of omission, and that is one thing we are going to have to account for, to stand forward in front of others as a proclaimer of Jesus Christ, as doing the right thing. Sins of omission. And that's what can happen when we pull ourselves away from Jesus Christ and get involved in this other spiritual world. And there are so many things out there right now that do that. I mean, one of my parishioners just gave me this past week a magazine that any of our young people can purchase at any borders, any bookstore. They can go in and purchase this without any problem. And opening themselves up to that spiritual world where they don't know it's going to take them and it can take them down the road to sin, down the road to damnation. But we don't, oh no, 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 nothing to worry about. Our children know what they're doing. It's called the new witch. And in here it talks about how to make your own altar. It talks about divination, which means turning to other spiritual guides to help guide you to tell the future. That's directly against Scripture. It's directly against the catechism of the Catholic Church. But any of your children can pick this up. No problem. 
And I know you parents out there saying, well, you know, we want to let our children find their own way in life. And we don't want to damage their psyche in any way. Let's not do that. Well, let me tell you what my parents did. You know, yeah. And my mother's in the audience, so she can uh, verify this. My parents, and not wanting to damage the psyche of my brothers and myself, I have two older brothers. It's an age difference between my brothers and myself, so I'm not responsible for their mistakes. My dad was very forthright. He said, you want to live in this house? You go to church every Sunday. And he even told my brothers when they came back from the Marine Corps from the Vietnam War. He said, you want to live in this house? You go to church every Sunday. If you don't like that, there's the door. He told me that when I was 13. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I don't think he did too bad because my brothers are still practicing Catholics. I'm still a practicing Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad was a great athlete, a very good football player. I would say if he was here today, he'd be prouder of me for becoming a Catholic priest than if I became a professional athlete because he loved the faith that much. But he forced us to go to church. I remember the one time I had damaged an ankle playing basketball and my father looked at it and he says, it doesn't look that bad. You can still go to church. (laughs) What I'm saying is to you parents, be tough on your children when it comes to practicing the faith because we're talking about their eternal salvation. We're not talking about a game. We're not talking about something that doesn't matter. That's why the supreme law of the church, and I am a canon lawyer also, I know. I'm a dual lawyer, the worst of all worlds, a civil lawyer and a canon lawyer. Matter of fact, when I became a priest, first parish I was assigned to as a priest, this nice little old lady came up to me and she says, I heard you used to be a lawyer before you became a priest. I said, that's right, ma'am. She goes, you must have been a great lawyer because that's a heck of a penance you got. Uh, uh. <laughs> Found out what she thought about lawyers after that, yes. But the fact of the matter is, the supreme law of the Catholic Church is the salvation of souls. We're not a social institution, even though we do good social works. We believe in social justice. But our supreme law, our supreme reason that Jesus Christ established the church was the salvation of souls. And that is what we are up against here, that we are fighting against, is for the salvation of souls. Now, in the book, the investigative report that was done on the exorcist, very interesting. The family is Lutheran, and they took their son, who was possessed by the devil at that time, they took him to the Lutheran minister, which would have been a logical thing to do. They had tried out all the psychiatrists, psychologists, and doctors, and they couldn't do anything to help him. And he was having uh, these terrible nightmares. Everything in the room was moving. So they took him to the Lutheran minister. The Lutheran minister tried praying over him and doing everything. And this is by a reporter who is not Catholic. He's agnostic, as a matter of fact, who did this definitive study on this case. And he writes that a force had been tormenting Robbie from the outside. Now the force seemed to be inside him, manifesting itself by emerging from his body in bloody lines, possessing him. The minister conceded defeat. As one of Robbie's parents told this reporter, the Lutheran minister said, you have to see a Catholic priest. The Catholics know about things like this. It's because the church has always taught that the devil exists and he prowls about the world seeking souls. But the church has also taught that the victory is ours. It has already been won in Jesus Christ. But it comes incumbent upon you. Are you willing to follow that path and willing to say, yes, Jesus Christ is the center of my life? 
Jesus Christ is where I have to be. Because when we allow our children to get involved in these other practices and we say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter because, you know, everything is the same. All types of religions are equal. All types of beliefs, as long as they're not hurting anybody, it's okay. Or remind you of what St. Paul wrote to the Colossians. He tells Christians not to be captivated by an empty, seductive philosophy according to human tradition, according to the elemental powers of the world, and not according to Christ. You have to follow what is according to Christ. And there are so many practices out there in our day and age that we have to be aware of. And people say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. Yes, it does, because you're opening yourself up to the spiritual world. You do not have the capability to deal with that. It's best to avoid those things. Best to stay on the side of Jesus Christ. A Ouija board. Well, it's just a board game. No, it is not. You're opening yourself up to other spirits. Astrology. Anything that deals with predicting the future is saying, I don't trust in God. That's what it's saying. I don't trust in God. I don't trust in Jesus Christ. You're turning yourself over to other spiritual powers. Belief in channeling. That's where you seek another spirit to help guide you. No. Reincarnation, no. There's so much out there. You just have to be aware of the fact if we're not centering ourselves on God, then we're pulling ourselves away from God. And anything that does that, we have to be concerned about and worried about. And there's so much out there, I know it is very difficult to deal with. And it is not easy. And you can say, you know, Father, you're up there telling me I'm a parent and I have it very difficult you know, to raise my children. And I do. I pray for you parents because people will tell me, Father, oh, it must be very difficult to be a priest. You're probably so lonely. I don't have time to feel lonely. I don't. But I look at you parents and I say, oh my gosh, you've got the difficult task of raising your children in this day and age when everybody is saying, well, it doesn't matter. Allow them to open themselves up to everything. No. Stand up. Say no. It's okay. My parents said no to me. I stomped my feet. I complained. But I'm here today. And that is what is most important. Remember, you as parents, you love your children, but you're not called to be their friend. You're called to be their parent. Church law states that you are the primary educator of your children. You are the one responsible. You have to stand before God and say, well, I raised my child this way. Well, I didn't let them go to church because they were screaming and complaining too much when they were a teenager. I'm going to have to answer to God for that. Any violation of the commandments of your children before they become of age, before they become adults, you have to show them the way. In this new age and cult that is out there, this new age, Enneagrams, oh my gosh. And I have to admit, sad to say, sent by a Catholic seminary to do chaplain's training in one of our hospitals. It was not a Catholic hospital, thank heavens. But I had to learn about Enneagrams during my chaplain training because this was a great way to help define our personality. All it is is opening yourself up again to trying to predict the future, trying to show where we are headed. And it's very interesting. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in 1989 wrote a letter on some aspects of Christian meditation and it warned about all these things that is intended to serve as a reference point not just for this problem, but also in a more general way for the different forms of prayer practice nowadays in ecclesiastical organizations, particularly in associations, movements, and groups. Such prayer forms, such as centering prayer, where you're centering on yourself and not centering on God and Jesus Christ. We have 
practices of exercise where you're called to focus on yourself or focus on some other spiritual guide. Now, it's no problem. You know, I know the martial arts and I know yoga and that. You might be able to use some of the exercises, but when you begin to focus on centering yourself, that is opening yourself up to the spiritual realm. And the only people we focus ourselves on, again, God. And we ask the saints to guide us. And this is so very important. I know my time is running out. I just want to end with something that in the research on the exorcist and that exorcism, there's one thing, again, this author is an agnostic. And he writes, there's finally, I think, something of the fable to exorcism. If a fable is a veil thrown across the face of truth. One day I was talking to a Jesuit theologian about possession and about the intricacies of good and evil. He rattled off the books I should read on the subject and he showed the proper Jesuit contempt for anything less than hard-edged reason. As the interview ended, he asked me casually if I had heard what had happened in Xavier Church after the end of the exorcism. No, I had not, responded the reporter. And then this Jesuit told me, he told me as if this too was important to a discussion of good and evil. And this reporter writes, Soon after the successful end, the successful end of the exorcism at the hospital, he said, something strange happened in St. Francis Xavier Church. It was night and the church was in partial darkness. Several Jesuits had gathered together for Mass. Suddenly the shadowed loftiness of the great soaring apse blazed in light. The Jesuits looked up and saw, filling the immense space above the altar, what Robbie, the boy who had been possessed, said he had seen, St. Michael flaming sword in hand, defending the good and warding off evil. Yes, St. Michael, remember. Remember our saints. Remember St. Michael. Remember to center yourself on God, Jesus Christ. If your children aren't doing that, then direct them back to the Eucharist, to the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the center of our faith. That is where we will win the battle, for Jesus Christ has won the battle for us. And if we follow him, we have nothing to fear, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. That was Father Ron Brown of the first of the two spiritual warfare talks that were presented at his parish, St. Gerald's in Farmington, Michigan. Frontline Youth, the parish youth group, sponsored the evening to raise money for their trip to World Youth Day in the summer of 2008. With the second spiritual warfare talk, here is the pastor of Our Lady of Good Counsel Church in Plymouth, Michigan, Father John Ricardo. People think I'm tough, and then I come and listen to Father Ron. Like, my gosh, I'm just a lightweight. I had the good privilege when I was uh, first ordained, he and I worked together at Divine Child. Actually, he came, I think, to help out on weekends for six or nine months. There's the case in Divine Child where the the sacristy is right off the sanctuary. When we weren't saying Mass, we would just kind of sit in the sacristy and listen to uh, each other preach. We would talk about what we were going to preach on and whatnot. And, and I'm sitting there going, ah, I really want to push this, but I, that might be too hard. And then I'd listen to him, and it's like, oh, this is way too fluffy. Throw this out. Brown's going for it. I'm going for it. So uh, it's a pleasure to be with him, and it's a pleasure to be with Eddie, who also likes to push. So thanks, brother, for that. One quick thought as I was listening to uh, Father Ron. And some people probably say this, I know, I know people say this, you know, that we pray the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel every morning after Mass at St. Anastasia. And I had someone come up to me afterwards, uh, shortly after we began to doing that, saying, 
Um, you guys are just obsessed with the devil. And I said, obsessed with the devil? Why would you think that? I pray the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel all the time. Well, that doesn't mean I'm obsessed with the devil, for crying out loud. That just means I'm aware of the fact that we have some opponents in life. I'm just trying to call for some help. And I always think of there's a, uh, an evangel- I think it was Bob Mumford. He was an evangelical, or maybe it's Derek Prince, another um, evangelical pastor and teacher. He used to do a lot of work on spiritual warfare. And he used to use the image that we're like mailmen. So mailmen have the task of delivering the mail. That's all of us, huh? We're in the business of delivering the gospel. All right, so we're mailmen and mailwomen, mail people, whatever we are. And because you're a mailman or a mail person, whatever you are, and you're delivering the mail, every once in a while dogs come after you to try to prohibit you from delivering the mail. So if you're a smart mailman, you carry a stick. So when the dogs come, you can beat them off and you can deliver the mail. That's what we do. That's what we're talking about tonight. The problem only comes when you drop the mail and you start looking for dogs. So we're not out looking for dogs. We're just trying to deliver the mail. But we're also trying to help people, first of all, maybe tell you you better get a stick if you don't have one, and to help maybe find you a stronger one as well. I think people are here for lots of different reasons tonight. I tried to call and email a few folks who I know were coming just to get a sense as to why they were coming to something like this. The mere fact that we just simply titled it Spiritual Warfare and we got as many people for something like this is pretty telling, I think. But I think uh, a lot of us are here because we're looking for answers to some of the things that are out there, which either our kids are involved in or our friends are involved in or maybe we've dabbled in or we're not quite so sure about. Father Ron mentioned many of them, yoga, Wicca, Ouija boards, horoscopes, those kinds of things, all sorts of things that we can kind of um, basically term the New Age movement, I think. So even though it's, the talk is titled or An Evening on Spiritual Warfare, I don't really think that's what we're here for or at least what many people are here for. And I'm going to try to discuss something uh, to give us a context for what I sense is actually going to be the most important part of the night, which is your questions. I just want to give us a means by which we can ask some questions, I think, a framework from which we can start. Everything that's in the New Age movement, I think it's very important for us to realize that this hasn't just happened out of the blue. Something caused this. Why is there such an interest in things spiritual. And there's a huge interest in things spiritual. The secret is hugely popular. Go down to Borders, Barnes & Nobles, you can pick up The New Witch or Modern Witch or whatever the heck that magazine was. And sure enough, you walk down the spirituality section and it's enormous. There's a couple of Bibles there. Maybe there's a book on church history. Maybe there's probably like 10 or 12 books on Mary Magdalene. But there are an enormous amount of books on spirituality. That is the rage right now. And I think we have to be careful as Catholics not to just react to all of this, which I think is what many of us do. We just react and we go, the world's going to hell. That's not healthy. That won't help. We have to find a way to try to understand what's happening in the lives of the people around us, why our kids are interested in some of these things, why the people that we work with are interested in some of these things, why we ourselves might be interested in some of these things, so that we can make an intelligent reasonable response and offer people an alternative. So as I was uh, thinking about tonight and praying about it, and there's nothing like warfare when you're trying to give a talk on spiritual warfare, C.S. Lewis says the same, you know, when he's writing his book, Screw Tape Letters, what a miserable book to write this was, he says. You know, I mean, who wants to put themselves into the mind of the devil? What a horrific experience to try to figure out how would I tempt somebody? So as I was going through, this talk changed, I don't know how many times. Don't worry, it's not this thick. This is a document. 
Relax, okay? This is actually a, a document written by two congregations out of the Vatican. One is the Pontifical Council for Culture, and the other is the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue. It came out in the year 2003. I can't recommend it highly enough to everybody who's here. It's called Jesus Christ, the Bearer of the Water of Life, a Christian Reflection on the New Age. It is exceptional and should be mandatory reading for anybody who's here because they're interested in trying to do spiritual warfare. So I'm going to read some parts of this, not because I'm trying to get out of actually giving you my thoughts, but because I think without what the Vatican so succinctly puts together, our questions, they'll just be kind of like grasping at straws. Most people don't have, I don't think, a foundation from which to ask the right questions. This, I'm hoping, will give that, and it'll especially help us understand why this phenomenon is so popular and what's attractive about it to so many people and what our task is and why this is actually a great challenge in the best sense of the word for the church right now and for us. So, origins of this New Age movement. The document says the beginning of the third millennium comes not only 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, but also at a time when astrologers believe that the age of Pisces, known to them as the Christian age, is coming to a close, which is going to usher in the dawning of the age of Aquarius, right, made so popular by a musical, which was very involved in this. Hair was no innocent little musical. It had a vested interest in helping to bring in this new age, the ages in astrological systems last about 2,100 years or so. The New Age is one of many explanations of the significance of this moment in history, which are bombarding contemporary, particularly Western culture. And it is hard to see clearly what is and what is not consistent with the Christian message. That is so true. You go to any parish and you have, it looks like syncretism. You've got Christian versions of this, that, and the other thing, which... Some people will tell you, you can't mix that with Christianity. They don't mix. Other people will go, oh, sure you can. There's no problem with that. And everybody's left confused. That's where we are oftentimes. It has been said quite correctly that many people hover between certainty and uncertainty these days, particularly in questions relating to their identity. Some say that the Christian religion is patriarchal and authoritarian, that political institutions are unable to improve the world, that formal medicine simply fails to heal people effectively. Many of us have said some or all of those things. The fact that were once central elements in society are now perceived as untrustworthy or lacking in genuine authority has created a climate where people look inwards, into themselves, for meaning and strength. There's also a search for alternative institutions, which people hope will respond to their deepest needs. The unstructured or chaotic life of alternative communities of the 70s has given way to a search for discipline and structures which are clearly key elements in the immensely popular mystical movements. Listen to this. This is the key. New Age is attractive mainly. I can't emphasize this enough. It's attractive. This is what the church is saying. Because so much of what it offers meets hungers often left unsatisfied by the established institutions of which we are one. There is a problem because people aren't seeing a difference in us. That's why there is a problem. That's one of the reasons, anyway, why there's a problem. Whatever questions and criticisms it may attract, New Age is an attempt by people who experience the world as harsh and heartless to bring warmth to the world. 
you don't wake up one day and go, I think I'll be a druid today. It's a response to something. As a reaction to modernity, it operates more often than not on the level of feelings, instincts, and emotions. Anxiety about an apocalyptic future of economic instability. Got a little of that around here, don't we? Political uncertainty, climatic change, plays a large part in causing people to look for an alternative, resolutely optimistic relationship to the cosmos. There's a search for wholeness and happiness, often on an explicitly spiritual level. New Age appeals to people imbued with the values of modern culture. Freedom, authenticity, self-reliance, and the like are all held to be sacred. It appeals to those who have problems with patriarchy. It does not demand any more faith or belief than going to the movies. It's very non-demanding. You just have to be happy. And yet it claims to satisfy people's spiritual appetites. The appeal of New Age religiosity cannot be underestimated When the understanding of the content of Christian faith is weak, some mistakenly hold that the Christian religion does not inspire a profound spirituality, and so they seek elsewhere. This is why it's so important, especially for those of us who are involved in youth ministry in any capacity whatsoever, to not wimp out and give people something overly simplistic. Kids want to be challenged. Give them the gospel. 83-year-old man, couldn't stand up straight, who drooled, who slurred his words, who didn't say any of the messages that this world says to youth, has the largest audiences in the history of the world, Pope John Paul II. Why? Because he dared kids to be great. He appealed to the zeal that's in them, to the desire that they have to make something heroic and noble with their lives. He didn't say, oh, you know, it's going to be tough. Uh, You don't want to do that. He didn't water it down. He challenged them. And when they hear the gospel in its fullness, and when they meet the true Jesus, not the watered-down, wimpy Jesus, the true Jesus who challenges us to be great, who makes demands of us, who calls us to holiness, kids respond. So those of us involved in youth work in any capacity have to do the same. Learn from someone who's proven that it works. It doesn't mean you berate kids. It means you, you find what's inside them and call it out of them. That's what he did. Parents, it's the task for you. The success of New Age offers the church a challenge. People feel the Christian religion no longer offers them, or perhaps never even gave them, something they really need. What's the appeal in these megachurches right now? The appeal is it's relevant. What's the accusation? What they're finding here is not. That's an indictment to Father Ron and to myself, and a challenge to Father Ron and to myself to make sure that when we're teaching, what we say is relevant. Doesn't mean we talk about TV shows. It means it's relevant. It speaks to the desires of the kids' hearts, to the desires of every human heart. We all know that. But something hasn't been getting said lately, and so people are going elsewhere. The search, which often leads people to the New Age, is a genuine yearning. The thing I like so much about the document, one of the reasons why I so strongly encourage people to read it, is because this is hardly some attack on where people are. It's a very balanced look at, hey, we understand very well why you've gone away. Here's why. Because you have real desires, and your real desires and yearnings have not been getting met. Well, we're here to tell you that we can meet those. Jesus can meet those. He's the only one who can meet those and satisfy and fulfill them. But they have a genuine yearning. We all do for a deeper spirituality, for something which will touch their hearts, for a way of making sense of a confusing and often alienating world. There is a positive tone in New Age criticisms of the materialism of daily life, of philosophy, and even of medicine and psychiatry, 
reductionism, which refuses to take into consideration religious and supernatural experiences, the industrial culture of unrestrained individualism, which teaches egoism, pays no attention to other people, the future, and the environment. Any problems there are with New Age are to be found in what it proposes as alternative answers to life questions. The problems are not the questions. The questions are the right questions. The problem is they're giving the wrong answers. What we have to make sure of in the church, especially anybody here who's in a capacity of teaching or working with youth or being a parent, is that you're able to articulate the answers in a way which is attractive and true. That's what we need. If the church is not to be accused of being deaf to people's longings, her members need to do two things. First, to root themselves ever more firmly in the fundamentals of their faith. Thus, we have to be better educated. And it doesn't work anymore to know that the church teaches whatever. You better know why. You better know why the church teaches that in vitro fertilization is intrinsically evil. You better know why the practice of contraception is destructive to a relationship of marriage. You better know why pornography is harmful. You better know why, not just that. We've got to know the whys and understand that people really don't know the whys because they've been raised in a ridiculously relativistic culture. They have no idea. So first, we've got to root ourselves ever more firmly in the fundamentals of our faith. Second, we better understand the often silent cry in people's hearts which leads them elsewhere if they are not satisfied by the church. After 11 years of priesthood, I'm convinced of fewer and fewer things, but here's one of them. The human person is ridiculously fragile. We all look so well put together. None of us are. None of us are. We have to be able to hear beyond or see beyond what someone's doing and recognize this person has a heart just like mine with desires just like mine, and we know that. So how can I perceive accurately why they're hurting? What can I do to help them? As opposed to, gosh, you're so stupid. New Agers, is it important to be in tune with nature or the cosmos? In New Age, there is no distinction between good and evil. Human actions are the fruit of either illumination or ignorance. Hence, we can't condemn anyone. Nobody needs forgiveness. Wouldn't that be great? Believing in the existence of evil can only create negativity and fear, and who needs those? The answer to negativity is love. But it's not the sort which has to be translated into deeds. It's more a question of attitudes, of mind. Love is energy, a high-frequency vibration, hence crystals. And the secret to happiness and health and success is being able to tune in to find one's place in the great chain of being. New Age teachers and therapies claim to offer the key to finding the correspondences between all the elements of the universe so that people may modulate the tone of their lives and be in absolute harmony with each other, with everything around them, although there are different theoretical backgrounds. At the core of everything that we're talking about is relativism. It's the heart of everything. Bad philosophy, a bad understanding of how things are, equals a bad life. The problem is is not the action so much. The problem is we don't think rightly. We have to learn to think rightly. This culture doesn't think at all, by and large. We just regurgitate. We just speak out of our feelings, our opinions. Whatever's okay for you, that's fine, so long as nobody gets hurt. That is the mantra. So long as nobody gets hurt. That, in fact, is the ending of the Wiccan creed. I will burn this as soon as I walk out of here because I don't want it in my house. The ending of the Wiccan creed is, 
These eight words, the read fulfill, and ye harm none, do what ye will. Harm nobody, do whatever you want. As long as you don't harm anybody, everything's fine. That's exactly the mentality of the culture. So long as nobody gets hurt, I mean, we don't want anybody to get hurt, but so long as no one gets hurt, have at it. Problem is, what's it mean to get hurt? This is the Vatican document again. It's significant that the New Age has enjoyed enormous success in an era which can be characterized by the almost universal exaltation of diversity. Western culture has taken a step beyond tolerance in the sense of grudging acceptance of or putting up with the idiosyncrasies of a person or a minority group to a conscious erosion of respect for normality. Normality is presented as a morally loaded concept linked necessarily with absolute norms. For a growing number of people, absolute beliefs or norms indicate nothing but an inability to tolerate other people's views and convictions. That is precisely the accusation against us. You are intolerant. You are bigoted. You are narrow-minded. You are not open to other people's way of lives. You just don't love. When in fact, love doesn't say do whatever you want. I'll never forget a, a little girl with divine child was over at their family's house one time and in the middle of a dinner conversation, I think it was, the uh, little girl was talking to her mom just kind of out of the blue how kids, you know, blurt things out in the middle of conversations. And she says, Mommy, why doesn't, uh, you know, Sarah, the neighbor, why doesn't Sarah's mommy love her? She says, of course she loves her. Why would you say something like that? And she was like 12. She says, because she lets her do whatever she wants. She got it. Love doesn't say do whatever you want. Love cares enough to get involved when something is dangerous. When someone I love is walking towards a cliff, I stop them. If I have to, I tackle them. That may not be experienced as very loving at the moment when I do it, but it's a very loving thing to do. It means I saved your life. People have done that for me repeatedly. Probably haven't thanked them enough, but one day hopefully I will. In this atmosphere, alternative lifestyles and theories have really taken off. It's not only acceptable, but positively good to be diverse. You want to be um, kind of like the life of a party, walk in and say, you know, you're a transgendered, transsexual spy for the CIA. Everybody will flock to you, you know? <laughs> you know, or you're attracted to extraterrestrials or who knows what, but you walk in and you say, you know, I happen to be a devout Roman Catholic, and the conversation ends. <laughs> no one wants to talk to you. That's not interesting. Relationship with the creator of the universe? Nah, not interested in that. I want to hear about your attraction to extraterrestrials. I know we, we want to get some questions. Again, I just want to encourage this document. I want to give us a couple of practical things to do some, how do we respond to this? First thing, priest friend, uh, priest mentor, Father Francis Martin, great expression, uses it all the time. Don't be stupid. Okay? First thing to do, don't be stupid. And what does that mean? It means if you're a parent, be really careful what you bring into your house. If you've got children at home, be really careful what you bring into your house. Be really careful where your computer goes. And I don't mean where it travels. I mean what gets typed into the keys. Don't invite evil into your house. That's just stupid. And it's not safe. You don't want to mess with dogs. Stay in grace. It's the best ally against spiritual warfare. Stay in grace. If you're not, get there quickly. Husbands and wives, if you're talking about doing spiritual warfare for your kids, pray for your children. Pray together for your children. You've got to come together as 
mother and father, you've got to seek the Lord. Even if you just pray in silence, it doesn't matter. But you've got to seek the Lord, ask the Lord to show you why is it as son or daughters, whatever age, why are they struggling with whatever? Give us new insights, new perspective, new something. Help us to see how the evil one is coming after them. Because remember, the evil one knows you. That's a pretty frightening thought. The evil one personally knows you. Not as well as God knows you, but he knows you. He knows where you and I are strong and where we're weak. He knows where we're easy to prey on and where we're not. He knows where we're inclined to fall and where we're not. He's not wise, but he's intelligent beyond imagining. So as a couple, as parents, pray for your kids. Ask the Lord for the insight that you need. If you still got kids, again, teach them how to think because they're not being taught how to think in most schools. They're being taught how to get to the next level. But most of our schools today aren't doing an anywhere near adequate enough job teaching people how to think, critically think. But you've got to do that in an attractive manner, and that's tough. That means you can't react. That's one of the worst things we can do is react. You've got to find a way to do it attractively, reasonably, calmly. I mean, sometimes the proper thing to do is to walk away, get your thoughts together, then come back. Or say, hey, why don't we talk about this later on the way home or whatever. Use the weapons God gave you, which means sacraments, scriptures. The devil hates Our Lady. I have a friend of mine who's an exorcist. He says uh, the two people that the devil hates the most are Our Lady and Padre Pio. Can't stand Padre Pio. St. John Vianney, same way. Remarkably humble men. And the humblest of all is Mary. So the rosary is a tremendous devotion, but Our Lady's mantle is one incredibly thick mantle. Call it down upon your house and upon your life and upon your soul. Help kids arrive at the answers. Don't give them to them. That's one of the ways you help them to think. With friends and coworkers or whatever, family members, that's where this often is, who are involved in these kinds of things, again, don't react to them. Remember what the church is saying here. These are coming out of their felt desires. Something has not been met. They're not trying to be evil. They're seeing something being offered to them that we're not offering them. So understand that and then find a way to respond to them intelligently and reasonably and calmly. We've got to find a way to take the time to explain these things and why they're true. And the challenge is some of the answers that we have for some of the things are not little soundbite answers. They're a little bit more involved than that. Lastly, Pope Benedict's fond of saying this over and over again, live life beautifully. That's what the world needs from us. Live your life so attractively. That means with such peace, with such trust, with such joy, with such hope that other people want to know how you've got that in the midst of our state, our country, at this time, in this world. And ask the Lord to show you what you're doing and what I'm doing that's not all that attractive so that we can get out of his way, so that people will be drawn to the truth that you and I have to offer them by being facilitators of helping them to find all that is revealed to us through the scriptures and through the teaching of the church. Okay? Thanks. On this edition of Putting on the Mind of Christ, we're listening to an evening of teaching on spiritual warfare. Our speakers are the pastor of St. Gerald Parish in Farmington, Michigan, Father Ron Brown, and the pastor of Our Lady of Good Counsel Parish in Plymouth, Michigan, Father John Ricardo. After this break, we'll hear the question and answer session that followed Father Ricardo's talk. This is Putting on the Mind of Christ on Ave Maria Radio. 
Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Today on Putting on the Mind of Christ, we heard a pair of talks on spiritual warfare. Our speakers were Father John Ricardo and Father Ron Brown. We recorded them at an evening sponsored by Frontline Youth, a ministry of St. Gerald Catholic Church. The youth really did their job of promotion. The church was packed that evening last April. There was standing room only in the narthex. Following the talk was a short question and answer session. Here with that is Father John Ricardo. We're going to get a lot of people who have, there's like three already here. I'm sure yoga is huge on people's minds. We're going to get to that. There's another one that shows up every once in a while, too. It's uh, trusting only in our Lord. I have come to immediately delete emails that promise rewards or threaten dire consequences if not immediately forwarded to X number of people. This is called the St. Jude prayer, huh? We get these in church. I don't know what your policy is, but I throw them out. If anybody here does things like that, I can't encourage you enough to stop. If you're one of those people who comes to church and leaves the little sheets with you know, the novena to St. Jude, please stop. That's not faith-filled. That's superstitious. That's not how the communion of saints works. We don't do things like that. We don't need things like that. It's thinking that we can somehow wrest control of what God's going to do or how the communion of saints is going to work. And the same with um, emails, you know, like this person's getting. Yeah, I would, I would encourage you to do what you're doing, which is just to delete them and don't get involved with that. Well, let's go to yoga. <laughs> yoga and boo-boo. <laughs> I've been told it's... Uh, Wrong to take yoga, and believe it or not, I've been encouraged by others, even Catholics, I believe it, to partake in yoga. Is it wrong or what? Now, I'm I'm sure someone's going to say, Father, you have yoga at St. Anastasia. That's my incredible negligence. Um, We have something on the uh, bulletin which says Christian yoga, I think it says. I'm not sure how it's actually worded. I had a long conversation with the woman who runs it. She may even be here. I don't know because I haven't met her. I've just spoken with her. Tremendously devout woman. We had a great conversation. She totally understands that yoga is um, not something that you want to practice. She's, her fear was that um, if she didn't call it that, she wouldn't get anybody. I said, well, here's the reality. you got to call it something else. I don't think it's been called something else yet. I had an appointment with her scheduled for, I think, right before Easter, and I never saw her. I think probably my fault. I'm not sure why that happened. But Father Ron's got lots of thoughts on this too, I'm sure. But there's probably lots of things to say about this because we could do a whole night on yoga, I think. Yoga's origins and intents are anything but Christian. It's part of a multiple, quote-unquote, limb system to bring one to enlightenment. The things which are most commonly practiced, which people of goodwill go to it for, are they want the stretching and the breathing exercises. That's what they go for, which seems pretty harmless enough. And in fact, you know, if uh, you didn't know anything about it, it would be pretty harmless Those two steps of these multiple, quote-unquote, limbs which bring somebody towards enlightenment, though, are actually intermediary steps. I think there's eight steps towards enlightenment or in the yoga system. Somebody here may know more than me on this, but but breathing and stretching are, are like steps three and four. I mean, they're meant to get you somewhere. So because the intent of this, and like Father Ron was talking about with centering prayer, which can be okay as long as you're centering on the Lord as opposed to yourself, which is pointless. You know, there's introspection that we do to find the Lord within us, and then we get into a relationship with the Lord. That's what prayer is, as opposed to trying to get in touch with the divine within me. That's not prayer. 
That's wacko. I'm not divine. Neither are you. I'm a mess. You're a mess. You're not okay. Neither am I. All right? But I'll let Father Ron maybe say a little bit more about this. This would be the simplest way to answer this right now. If you're thinking of getting involved in yoga, don't. If you're already involved in it in some capacity, I would just simply ask you to reflect upon what is it that you're doing. Like one of the things that the document of the church would say is, you know, there's a lot of things that get thrown around or the mere fact that it has the name of something doesn't mean that it's necessarily what the name implies. You have to ask, what's going on here? What is it that's being taught? What is it that the goal is? What is it that we're trying to get out of this? If you're going to yoga because you like stretching, go find some new way to stretch. Do something else. You know, if you're going there because you want to learn how to breathe, call a physician. But there are better ways to learn how to breathe than to go to yoga. Father Ron's talking earlier, you know, you don't want to play with anything whose origins are not of God. And you know they're of God if they say so. And if they don't, be really careful. But don't just walk into something and think, well, it's just harmless, it's just whatever. It's rarely just whatever. It came from somewhere. So be aware of where it came from and then act accordingly. You want to add to that? And that's exactly, you know, what are the origins, what are the roots to see? Like sometimes what happens, as Father John mentioned, you know, it may have the name uh, yoga, but let's be honest, what is it really trying to accomplish? What is behind here? And just to, again, be very cautious of what we're entering into. And again, ask ourselves, are we centering our life? Is this going to help me center my life on God, on Jesus Christ? Is this going to help me there? And so I know it's a difficult challenge for all of us. That's actually the simplest way to say it. Will this, this friendship, this behavior, this TV show, this movie, this book, this exercise class, will this bring me closer to the Lord? If not, we don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't want to go there because it means it's bringing you away from him, who is the only one who can satisfy us, the only one who knows what we truly desire. Kind of two related questions here is... uh, ask, why are priests not teaching apologetics from the pulpit? Apologetics would teach us the why behind our beliefs, and you know, how can we teach to think when we weren't taught? The difficult factor, and I'll just speak for myself, can't speak for Father John, is to try to teach sometimes apologetics from the pulpit, but you have to remember, as one of my Protestant minister friends tells me, as a Catholic, you don't give a sermon, you give a sermonette. Because our Catholics, remember, you have to be out in an hour. Oh, yes. Believe me, I've heard that from here. Oh, yes. Father, it was an hour and five minutes. Come on now. Oh, yeah. And people come in, what was so long with that last Mass? It's very difficult to teach apologetics when you're given about ten minutes on a Sunday. And we are directed to teach the scriptural readings in our homilies. Can you do that? (laughs) I try to do that. (laughs) So it is very difficult. What we try to offer are other programs where we can teach also. And I am going to now gain the wrath of you because you have not heard me ever say from this pulpit. Some of you may have heard in your past to say, well, don't read the Bible. But how many of you ever heard don't read the catechism? I've never told you that. I've told you to read the catechism. You better read your catechism. You have a responsibility to read it. So don't put your blame on me. Look back in the mirror. If you're not read the catechism, you don't know what the Catholic Church teaches. You better start. 
And that's where it begins. There are so many good programs out there right now for you to learn about the faith. Father John is on Ave Maria Radio. There's Catholic Radio. There's also EWTN. Yes, support EWTN. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a great organization out in California called Catholic Answers. You want to learn about apologetics? Contact catholic.com and they'll help you to learn. They have the time. They can do that. Yes, it does require you to invest your time to do this. Yes. What's better? Invest your time reading some good stuff from Catholic Answers or watching Desperate Housewives. (laughs) I leave it up to you. So how can we teach to think when we weren't taught? Yes, that's difficult. I appreciate where many were not taught. And that's true. I was part of that generation that was, as you've affectionately heard it, uh, go to CCD, cut, color, and draw. Yes. (laughs) So I know. And uh, I'll tell you, and this is the honest truth. When I first entered the seminary, I was very, very liberal. I thought, yeah, why can't the church change a lot of these teachings? This whole thing about contraception, church has got to get with it. whole thing about... You know, fornication, premarital sex? Well, what do you mean? There's nothing wrong with that. Come on. So what I did was I began to start reading. And I read the early church documents, the early church fathers. I began to learn what the church taught. I had to teach myself. But I began to see, you know what? The Catholic Church is right from the beginning of the church. The first century A.D. I had to teach myself. You can do the same thing. It's out there for you now. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of all the tools we have out there. We have the Catechism of the Catholic Church from Pope John Paul II. We have the Compendium of the Catechism from Pope Benedict. We have great resources. On your car when you're driving, don't have to listen to that other radio station. Listen to Catholic Radio. There are plenty of resources out there to learn. Don't put it on someone else. Put it on yourself. You know, we all have an obligation Every time I've been sent back to school, and I know Father Ron went back too, we were overseas together for a little while, I'm just convicted of what an intellectual midget I am and how easy it is for the mind to atrophy. When you don't think, gosh, you work hard all day long, it's exhausting, you get home, you hear about what's going on at school, you've got some fires to put out, you've got to catch up with your wife or your husband, and then you, you want to unwind. So what do you do? You know, turn on TV, watch the wings, oh, that didn't help, you know, and then you... Or something else. I mean, that's just the daily routine for many of us. And then over time, the mind just goes, and then you start to read something. And it's like, wow, is this like, is this on a DVD or something? Did they make a pop-up book for this? Because I don't know how to think anymore. Because I, I, we just don't use our minds anywhere near enough. We tune into whatever flavor of news show we want to give us what we want to hear. And then we just say, well, that must be true. I heard it on whatever station it was. We have to do the work. You and I have an obligation to find truth, to seek truth. It's an obligation to seek truth. Challenge of the New Age movement is it denies that there is any. You have all the questions back there. Although one of them was, uh, what were the documents you read from? It's only one document. It's called Jesus Christ, the Bearer of the Water of Life. If you just do a little Google search and you go, Water of Life, comma, Vatican, you'll get it. It'll pop right up. That's all I got it. Maybe just something that you can do for spiritual warfare for us is pray and fast for priests. I know some of the stories of Father Ron's 
How many years are you ordained? All right. He's five more than me, but he's 22 years older than I am. And um, <laughs> you are 35, right? Yeah. It's amazing that someone like this came out of that seminary. I mean, it really is. We'll just leave it at that. It's amazing. The formation or the lack of formation that so many guys got was really incredible. And there was lots of different reasons for that. I mean, there was such a, a spirit of confusion and what's going to change next and everybody was uncertain. I mean, I, I have nothing but really admiration for all the guys who went into the seminary before Vatican II and came out and are still priests after because it's a very different looking church than what it was when they entered into the seminary before Vatican II, most especially the, the way we celebrate the liturgy, which is what we do at the beginning of every day, huh? But we need you to pray. That's why it's fun to come here and listen to him because I'm like Father Fluffy after that, you know? We need to be called on by each other and to hear somebody speak truth. And it's not easy when you're trying to do that in the midst of a world which doesn't want to hear it. And we need you, just like you need us to do what we're doing and to pray for you and to offer the sacraments for you and to give you access to the sacraments. We really need you to back us spiritually or we will collapse. I promise you that. I got a lot of moral questions over here. What have you got? I had a blank one here. That was good. I'll take that one. (laughs) Blank. Oh, I can yes. answer this one. Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. Since we said don't be stupid, the question is um, please explain fornication between engaged Catholics. I don't mean that people who do that are stupid, but might as well put an end to the things which are foolish to do. Is it a mortal sin? What's mortal sin? Three things for it to be mortal, right? You just wrote about this in your paper, didn't you? Yeah. So everybody from St. Gerald should know this. Come on. Or haven't they gotten this paper yet? Well, they get the paper, they just don't read it. Oh, That's yeah. They read it during the homily. Grave matter, you had to know it, you have to freely do it, right? When those three conditions are met, we need to go to confession. So I can't answer for anybody whether or not they're free or whether or not they knew it, although I can tell you right now that you all know that fornication is wrong or harmful is a better way to say it. And I can also tell you that sexual sin is one of those things which is always grave. It's also probably the most understandable just because of the way we're constructed and even more so in the culture that we live But it's always grave, which is it's always a weighty thing because it is a corruption and an inhibition and a detriment to truly being able to love somebody. That's why it's so significantly harmful to people. So fornication is sexual activity between two people who are not married. So if you're doing that, you are welcoming evil into your life. Don't do that. And you're also lying because in a sexual expression, you're saying to the other person, everything I have is yours, which is either true or it's not. That's why contraception is harmful. Because contraception overrides that language with another language. Everything is not yours. I'm withholding something from you. I'm withholding the gift of fertility. That's what love looks like. Total gift of self. Pointing to the crucifix, not to the hymnal board. Sorry. (laughs) This. Not that. This is what love looks like. So anytime that we do something which inhibits or prevents intentionally the withholding or the giving of ourselves in love, that's something which is contrary to love, which is why it's harmful. And that's what sin is. Sin isn't wrong. Sin is harmful. That's a most significant distinction. Sin is not like breaking the speed limit where somebody just arbitrarily came up with a rule which tomorrow could change. Sin is something that's destructive of me as a person. As George Weigel, who Father Ron was mentioning earlier, puts it, I think, best, Sin is just the failure to live freedom excellently. And we all want to be free, and we want to be great. Somebody just asked, could you please offer spiritual weapons to use in home, at work? Great is uh, read scripture, sacred scripture. It's always very important. As Father John mentioned, never hurts to learn to pray the rosary. doesn't hurt to pray the rosary. 
pray the rosary. As I read at the beginning of the prayer of St. Michael. Remember, St. Michael is the one who, according to the book of Revelation, Scripture, Scripture, was the one who battled Satan in heaven and drove him out of heaven. It's St. Michael who did that. Satan's not equivalent with God. God is the creator. Satan is a created being. St. Michael and Satan would be equals. So the prayer of St. Michael, very, very important prayer. Why do we ask saints to pray for us? Why do we believe in the communion of saints? Because as Catholics, we believe that there's not this great separation between us, that we are still connected together because through God, there's the communion of saints, communion of saints, those who have died and have lived those holy lives and are now with God in heaven, you know, they're there, but because of their connection with God, they can pray for us. You know, we are told to pray for one another. The saints want to pray for us to help us on our journey. Remember, you know, the church is the church triumphant. That's a church in heaven, the church suffering in purgatory, and the church militant. I have a story about Father Coglin, who was the pastor of Shrine of Little Flower Parish in Royal Oak, and I served there as three years as an associate pastor. I just want to let you know this. I'm sure they would agree, but while I was there as an associate, two of the pastors became bishops. <laughs> Archbishop Alex Brunette, who's now the Archbishop of Seattle, Washington, and uh, Bishop John Neinson, who's just been named the co-jurdu to St. Paul, the Twin Cities, he'll be the new Archbishop there eventually, so... Now, they both became bishops. I just became a pastor a little while ago, but no. <laughs> but when we were there, somebody on the anniversary of Father Coglin's birthday sent a tape to us. And on Father Coglin's talk, he said, you know, there's the church triumphant, there's the church suffering, and there's the church militant. And he says, if you're not part of the church militant, then get out of this building right now. And that's it. You know, we wonder why, you know, asking the saints to pray for us now. Well, we're still connected. We're a church. We are connected. So they can pray for us. You know, we can go to other people and ask them to pray for us. But like some people say, why do you want to ask Mary to pray for you? Believe me, I want as many people praying for me as possible. And I'm going to as many of the saints as I can. We really believe this. And so this is a, a great testimony if you believe truly in the communion of saints, that we are still connected together in ways that we may not fully understand, but through the power, the love, and mercy of God, we are. I'm doing great, brother. <laughs> What's that? Relativism. What is relativism? Yeah, Log on to stanastasiaparish.org slash podcast, and there's like three talks on relativism if you want something comprehensive. Um, stanastasiaparish.org slash podcast. There's like 300 talks posted on there. You don't have to listen to all 300. Just listen to one on relativism (laughs) and the two on relativism. Relativism is in general the idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Just don't harm anybody. That's relativism. Do whatever you will just so long as nobody gets hurt, which becomes somewhat problematic when you actually get down to the details. There's a lot more that could be said about that. But that's certainly the underlying principle of the culture in which you and I are living right now. And it's why the church is hated. And the church is hated. The early Christians were killed for two main causes. One of them was they were considered enemies of the human race. And when they start killing us in this country, that will be the reason. Because they think what we teach is actually antagonistic to love. Because we would say to somebody who who loves each other, and, and they could very genuinely love each other, the church wouldn't deny that at all, but who's engaging in fornication or adultery or homosexual behavior or whatever it is, we would dare to say that that's harmful and you shouldn't do that and that it's not real love. And because that's not understood, because we've offended, now we've been intolerant, we've been bigoted, whatever, they will justify killing us on those grounds. I would be willing to bet. You done? Woo-hoo. 
Well, we got to all the questions except like the 350 other ones that you wrote. So see Father Ron for those. He's around. Thank you. Just remember, Father Ron Brown is the guy who's pictured in the Michigan Catholic. If you see him, you can ask him any questions you want. Spiritual warfare was our topic on Putting on the Mind of Christ today. Our speakers were both priests of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Father Ron Brown is the pastor of St. Gerald Catholic Church in Farmington, Michigan, which was the location of the event. Father John Ricardo is the pastor of Our Lady of Good Counsel in Plymouth, Michigan. He is heard weekly on Ave Maria Radio on his program, Christ is the Answer. The evening was sponsored by Frontline Youth, a ministry of St. Gerald Parish. They did it to raise money for their trip to Australia for World Youth Day in summer of 2008. A CD of this program is available for $8.50. Order program number 279. To place your order or for more information, phone 734-930-4506, 734-930-4506, or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. Putting on the Mind of Christ is presented by the Ave Maria Communications Guild. To assure continuation of programs like this, we encourage you to become a radioactive Catholic and join the Ave Maria Communications Guild. Phone 877-288-1077. 877-288-1077. Or go to amcguild.org on the Internet. Catholic Radio, it's yours to keep. This is your host and program producer, Henry Root. Thanks for being with us on this edition of Putting on the Mind of Christ. Until next week, may our Lord richly bless you and your families. This is Ave Maria Radio.